sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said, Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astosis, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So here we find Philip. He's on mission. He's doing this thing that God has placed him in Samaria. All these amazing things are happening, right? Uh, Baptisms and healings and all this crazy cool stuff that's taking place. And he's in this place, Right? In the midst of all of that, God says, hey, why don't you go down this desert road? And I know for me, I may have kind of been, whoa, wait a minute. What is down that desert road? God, don't you see all the stuff that's going on over here? But that's not what Philip does. Philip gets up and he heads down this desert road. And I love that. Philip's heading down this road. He comes across the Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the queen. Probably an important dude, right? Uh, if he's sitting with the queen, he's over the treasure, all the things that we just read in the texture. It's not like this minion, right? He's sitting there on this chariot, reading Isaiah, and the Spirit of God says, hey, go join him there. And Philip says, do you even know what you're reading? What a great question, right? What a great question for us. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a lot of research out there right now that suggests that people of this generation and non-believers are much more apt to sit down with a friend and read scripture than they are to go to church. They will sit down with someone who invites them and say, hey, would you read this? I'd love to read this, like dive into the gospel to John. And I just want to invite you into that. They're much more apt to read scripture with a friend than they are if that same friend said, hey, I've got church on Sunday. Would you go? And that's just where we're at in our culture right now. Not that we don't ask people to church, but I think there's something beautiful about asking them to join us in reading God's word together. And Philip says, do you even know what you're reading, right? Do you even know what you're reading? So Philip asks the question, and the eucharist response, how can I unless someone guides me? Do you wish that God put gospel opportunities up like that for you? <laughs> Just teed it up. I mean, there's no better, like, I'm not much of a golfer, right? Uh, I don't golf well. But occasionally, you know, when you get in your swing and you hit what they call the sweet spot, there's nothing like that feeling of going, whoa, that felt really good and it was so on and I didn't really do anything. I don't know what I just did, right? 
Maybe Craig knows that sweet spot more than I've maybe a, a few times in life, right? Um, but you hit that sweet spot, and I think that's representative when the Holy Spirit steps in, right? When it's not about our efforts, it's not about all the stuff that we're trying to do, it's not about all this difficulty, the Holy Spirit steps in, and you just sense the power of God move in the sweet spot. And Philip's in this place because of his obedience, because he went down this desert road, and he asked this question, do you even know what you're reading? And the response is, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Let me read verses 35 through 40 again. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as a eunuch, and he baptized them. I wish I had those experiences every day. Right? How beautiful is that? Because of his obedience, because of his tuning to the Spirit, he's able to come into this position with this eunuch, tell him about Jesus, and as they're going down the road, the eunuch says, Hey, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And you just see this beautiful display of the gospel unpacked, unraveled. So here's what I love about this story. A, I love that Philip was walking with Jesus. He had to, right? He was so in tune with Jesus that when he said, hey, go take this desert road, he could lean in that space and hear it and go. I love that he was willing to take a detour. Often in life, I miss, I think, a lot of those detours. Um, I miss a lot of those things that can just, God put on our radar, out of the blue. And so as I thought about this text, I thought, what are a couple of scenarios that possibly could have played out, right? If Philip hadn't been obedient, if he hadn't been tuned in the Spirit, if he hadn't just got up and went, what are a couple other options that maybe could have happened that maybe you and I could relate to? And the first option I came to is, what if Philip was so enmeshed in the mission that he totally missed the detour? What if he was so enmeshed in the mission that he would have had every right to be, because again, the lame are being healed, Evil spirits are being cast out. People are coming to know Jesus. People are being baptized. It would have been easy for him to go, but look at all the stuff that's going on here. I can't really leave this to go do that. That doesn't make sense, God. Let me do this. Have you ever been so enmeshed in the mission of really good stuff that maybe you missed what God has for you in a detour? I know in ministry it's easy. It's easy for me to get so enmeshed in the mission of what I'm doing, really good stuff, pouring into kids, coming alongside kids, and just getting so focused and tunnel vision on this mission, that sometimes I think I miss some of the detours that God says, hey, Dan, there's a conversation over here. Or, hey, Dan, when you're at Walmart, there's someone at the checkout right there. Um, I think I miss some of those opportunities sometimes when I get so caught up in the mission. And that's where my walk with Jesus has to be so in step, so in tune, that if God were to say, hey, here's a conversation, hopefully I catch that and go, okay, this can wait. Let me go have this conversation. Right? Can you relate to that? Like, has there been a time in your life where, or a season where you were so caught up in even really good stuff that you couldn't really see or hear if God were to say, hey, what about this detour over here? What about this person over here? What about this conversation? The amount of times I found myself 20 minutes down the road going, man, I totally just missed that opportunity. <laughs> 
man, I, I, I noticed this person, but I was so tunnel vision and focused over here that I totally missed that. Right? And so I think sometimes we can get caught up in the mission that we sometimes can miss the really sweet detours that God has for us. And the second scenario that as I was kind of thinking through this that I think hit me a little bit harder. What if Philip had been so busy that he just totally missed the opportunity? What if Philip had been so busy going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing that he missed this opportunity with the eunuch on this desert road coming to know Jesus at baptism? And what that brought me to is this place of just kind of pushing in and going, what does the margin in our lives look like? Like, Do we find ourselves sometimes going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing, and there's no margin or space in our schedules to do anything else? You know, whether that's running to 17 different sporting events, and you're just going from thing to thing to thing, or in your job you've got this all this stuff scheduled out, and there's no margin in there for anything else to have interjection, right? You just go from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And when we get in our cycles like that and we're so busy and there's no margin in our lives, where is God able to speak in? Where is God able to use you to meet with somebody else? And I'm also guilty of that, right? When you're going, when your schedule is so packed and there's so many things you're trying to fill every hour of the day and this conversation maybe pops up, there's something that goes, I don't have time right now. In a week or in two weeks, can we have that conversation because I'm going to this next thing? And that may be exactly the detour that God says, but Dan, I put you in this person's life for this time and place. Is there enough margin in your life to have that conversation? There's enough margin in your life to journey with somebody. This past year, I took a sabbatical. First time in 15 years. I've been on staff for 15 years with YFC. And I had a six-week sabbatical. This is some of the space that God really pushed into my life, this, this concept of margin uh, and this concept of Sabbath, right? Um, just going, what does rest actually look like? What does a Sunday actually look like to take Sabbath and to spend time with Jesus and enjoy my family and to put all my work and my other stuff aside so that I can tune into God and into this space? Um, Mark Buchanan wrote a book called The Rest of God. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. It's talking about Sabbath, right? But in that, he said, maybe what God requires most from us is our attention. Maybe what God requires most from us as believers is our attention. Think about that. How usable are you to God if he doesn't have your attention? What is God able to do through you on a regular basis if he doesn't have your attention? Maybe what God requires the most is our attention. Are we so busy that we, we don't have his attention? Alan Fadling wrote a book called An Unhurried Life. Now, if you want a book that's going to poke and prod and pick at you, and uh, especially if you're someone like I described that you're always on the go, this book ripped me 17 different directions. Um, Alan Fadling would say that he was a speed addict, not drugs, but a speed addict. Like he literally went from thing to thing to thing. Like he was always on the go, didn't know what rest was, didn't know what Sabbath was, like just going all the time. And God brought him through this journey in the season of learning what resting was and slowing down. 
But in the midst of that, in this book, one of the things Fadling said was, God's greatest commandment to us isn't get more things done. God's greatest commandment to us isn't, hey, go get more things done. Go do more. But rather, it's to love them with the whole of our energies, our capacities, and passions, and to extend that love to others. God's greatest commandment is that we love him with our entirety. And that we love other people. And Fadling goes on to say after they said, love isn't rushed. Love isn't rushed. In fact, he also points out in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, the first characteristic of love is what? Patience. Love is patient. That ought to speak to us. That ought to speak to us. If love is patient and love isn't rushed, and the greatest commandment is that I'm loving God with my entirety and that I'm loving people, there's something beautiful in this place of going, what does it look like for me to slow down? What does it look like for me to have enough margin that God is able to use me in these places? And during sabbatical, God just spoke into my soul in some of those places. And one of the really tough things that I really wrestled with was, in my mind, I started role-playing the amount of times people would come up to me and say, Hey, Dan, how's it going? And my initial knee-jerk reaction would be, Man, I'm tired. And I'm busy. And I would go through this list of all the things that were going on in my schedule. And I'm overwhelmed right now. And what came out of that place for me is I felt like God was saying, Dan, is that what you want people to see of me? That you're busy? That you're tired? That you're overwhelmed? Like, is that really the image of me that you're wanting to project? Or would you rather be in a place that's a little more restful? A place that exhibits joy? A place that says, man, here's where God is in my life. A place that is so countercultural to the day and age that we live where people go from thing to thing to thing and they're so stretched out beyond their capacity that people are tired all the time. How refreshing is it to you when you come in contact with someone that there's just a peace about them? They're not tired. They're not overwhelmed. They're in love with Jesus and they're just, there's this calmness about their spirit. I don't know about you, but when I come in contact with those people, there's something that is just, it draws me in. There's something for me that goes... Man, what does it look like to be in that place? How are they so at peace all the time? Because that's not what's characteristic of me most days. And so the third thing that I kind of mapped out here is exactly what Philip did. The other option is that Philip could be obedient. He could be in tune to Jesus. He can be obedient to the point where he just gets up, steps away from this awesome stuff going on that God's doing here, walks down this desert road, Here's God say, hey, there's a chariot. Go up there. <laughs> and he goes up there, and you guys know the rest of the story. Right? He was obedient. He was tuned in to Jesus. He had enough margin in his life to go, okay, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff going on over here, but if God's pointing me here, I've got time. Let's go. And then it says immediately after that, God whisked him up and put him in a different place. <laughs> he was sensitive to the Spirit. He was tuned in with what God was doing. And so now I shared some things in maybe my life a little bit where I've missed it. But I also want to share some places where we've got it right. Right? Some places and stories where God has been doing things in the hearts of kids this year. Um, There's just been a fun journey to walk with. And so change the names of some of these kids just to keep that respectful for them. But um, we'll call this kid John. John's a kid that I've been journeying with for three years. He's told me no more times than I can count in context of the gospel. 
He's always respectful. He's always like, hey, thanks, I appreciate it, but I'm just not ready for that. And we've continued to journey with him. He's gone to our Go Mad trips. He's gone to YSC camp uh, and still just said, no, I'm not ready for that yet. This past November, we went to our Go Mad trip up in Fort Wayne. Um, This whole trip, the point is to unpack the gospel for kids. Saturday night, the gospel gets unpacked. God is moving. Kids' lives are being transformed. And afterwards, we're sitting with 55 of our kids in a circle. And I'm just asking the question, now, what's God doing in your heart right now? Like, what, what is he speaking to you? What are you wrestling with? And kids get into some heavy, heavy stuff. And kids are talking about just some deep, hurtful places. Um, suicide, rape, different things going on. And they're just sharing. And then other kids are talking about um, putting their faith in Jesus for the first time. And at the end of all of that, this kid John is sitting in there. And he just boldly speaks up. He said, you know what? I've gone to go mad. I've gone to camp. I've been plugging into campus life. I see God transform people's lives and change people's lives. And I've seen it happen. But I've never once felt God. And I've never once experienced God. And I don't know if God has forgotten about me. And because of that, I don't know if I can believe he's real. I love his boldness. Right? I took a lot of guts in front of 55 of his peers to just proclaim that with the backdrop of everything that they've shared. And we continue to journey with him, continue to walk with him. This past May, he and I got coffee. I said, hey, tell me where you're at with all this. Like, let's kind of dig in again. And he started to map out all these places where God has been showing him signs over the last few months. He was reading the Bible that we gave him. Uh, He started kind of checking out churches a little bit. And he started mapping out all these different signs. And I just got this goofy grin on my face. I said, do you realize that in November, the statement that you said that God didn't notice you and maybe forgotten about you and you never felt or experienced them and you just went through this whole journey of all these places where God has been showing himself to you. And he kind of smiled and goes, yeah, I know. It's been kind of cool. I'm not there yet. But I am journeying and I'm pursuing. Well, he was the last minute go to camp. Uh, rugby trip fell through providentially. Um, he was supposed to be in Colorado during our camp. And so last minute he signed up, he went to camp. We're sitting at camp and halfway through the week, the gospel gets unpacked. And we send kids out for this thing called solo time for 30 minutes where they just sit before their creator in silence and deal however God is going to deal with them. And we came back into cabin time and we're talking through it and all the guys are sharing what's going on. And this kid, John said, you know what? Last year at this time, I said, not yet. And I was a wreck. And he was, he was a blubbering, bawling mess a year ago when he said no to Jesus. And he said, this year I said, not yet, but I'm in a very different place. I'm still journeying. And I probed into that a little bit. And he said, I don't want to disappoint God. I've disappointed my parents so many times. If I'm going to do this, I want to be all in and I don't want to disappoint God. And the Holy Spirit at that point prompted me to share my conversion story, which I'd never done with this young man. And in that place, being tuned into God, I shared my story. We prayed as a group. Kids went on to the next event. And as we were heading out the door, he said, Hey, Dan, can you hang back for a minute? I said, yeah. 
He said, tonight, I even, I asked God for another sign in solo time. And then you shared your story. And so when we prayed, I gave my life to Jesus. We both had tears in our eyes. We embraced, we hugged. Um, This young man, the amount of times over the last month and a half that I've seen him in random places reading the word of God. He stepped on my student leadership team as a senior because he has a heart for his friends to know what he now knows. Um, And he's... He's journeying, but it took some time and it took some space and it took a willingness to not love, not allow love to be rushed. There's another young man who went to camp with us who, this kid, um, always been a loner, always been an outcast, always felt like he's been on the outside, never had a lot of friends. His parents have moved a lot. And so this past spring, he moved to the Fishers area. Um, Some friends invited him to campus life. He started plugging in. He felt like people just kind of came around him and. He started to get a sense of community. We started promoting camp. He got excited about that, but his mom's a single mom. They really struggle financially, and he said, I can't afford that. I said, man, don't worry about costs. We'll take care of that. What can you afford? And let's, let's journey through this, right? So for the next three months, he was squirrely. <laughs> like every week, it was like he was trying to back out some way. Oh, my birthday's the next day. Oh, there's this concert during that same week, and so I don't know if I really want to do this. And I just kept encouraging him. Hey, I think you're supposed to be at camp. And some people sent him some money for scholarship stuff. Um, he and I did some work days doing mulch. And I was able to come to him and say, hey, the rest of your camp is taken care of. And so he went to camp. And we're about halfway through the week, and he's sitting in our cabin time. His eyes are bloodshot. He's been crying. And he starts to talk going, I don't know what's going on here. This whole God and Jesus thing is brand new to me. I never grew up around it. I don't know what this is about. I don't know why I'm crying right now because I'm not a crier. <laughs> I don't know what's happening inside of me right now. And I looked at him and said, God is pursuing your heart. Tune in. Open up. Let God speak. And he ultimately, at the end of the week, said, I'm not ready yet, but I'm tuned in. And so I've had a couple of my summer staff who've been meeting with him, getting coffee over the summer, pouring into him. Um, he started going to a weekly Bible study that we started doing after camp so that he can just engage with the word and see what God has for him. There's another kid that I met. I've known him since junior high in our junior high campus life. He's now about to be a senior. This kid went to campus freshman year. Um, wasn't ready for Jesus. We're at the last night of camp, so this is usually a time where everyone's, like, getting people's phone numbers that they've met at camp. And, hey, I'll call you in Wisconsin. Like, what's your number? And they're doing all that, and they're excited because it's the last night. Well, this kid came up to me and said, can we talk? I said, absolutely. And at our camp, there's this track that kind of walks around the main part of campus. And I bet we did 27, 30 laps. <laughs> Just walking around, and says, he told me his story in depth. And as a freshman, the struggles he's had with drugs, an older sister who was a partier, He's been to coke houses. He's been to dope houses that people have brought him to. Um, And he sat there and at a week at camp said, I don't want my life to be this. I know I need Jesus. And he invited Christ into his life. He went home and life got really hard. Because isn't that the reality a lot? Just because they change there doesn't mean their home circumstances change. Life got really hard. There's no church background in this home. Right? He had a really hard year. The next year, his parents got divorced, a couple deaths in his family that he was close to, and a friend who died. And he's been in a rocky spot. 
This year he goes to camp, last minute sign up again. I didn't think he was going to go. He went. And God started pursuing his heart again. And he started opening up. And we got home from camp, and the first night I get a text from him and say, Hey, just so you know, I got offered to smoke pot today. And I said, No, I just wanted you to know that. Second day I get a text from him, Hey, just so you know, I got offered to go to a party tonight. And I said, No, and I wanted you to know that. Three, four days in, I get this text from him saying, Hey, can I just say thanks for letting me tell you these things? It's really helping me. And your encouragement is really helping me continue to try to pursue Jesus. And by the way, when I get older, I want to be like you. I want to help kids know who this Jesus is. Crazy cool. The last story I'll share is a kid. He also happened to go to camp. I didn't know this kid. He's never plugged into campus life. He was going because a girlfriend invited him. We did a couple work days this summer. Uh, got to kind of know some surfacey stuff about him. He goes to camp. Um, totally disengaged. He's side-by-side side connected to his girlfriend and, like, never never leaves her. So even if the table is all girls, there's, like, this one boy sitting at the table at mealtimes because he can't leave his girlfriend to engage in the process at camp, right? About halfway through the week, one of my adult leaders who's there is a car guy. He starts talking about cars. And this kid's ears perks up because apparently this kid's a car guy, too. And they engage in this hour-and-a-half-long conversation about cars. And all of a sudden, this kid was tuned in. His perception changed, everything changed, and he was like, in, going, yeah, man, let's go, camp is awesome. Like, I don't know what it was about cars, but God used that conversation to tune this kid's heart in. And at the end of camp, we're sitting there, and he just professed in front of our group and said, hey, I've never grown up around this whole God stuff. Like, this is all really new to me, but this week I said yes to Jesus. And he's about to go off to college. So what's common about all these stories? None of these kids knew Jesus. None of these kids grew up in homes where Jesus was presented as an option. None of these kids grew up around church. And it took people who were willing to have margin in their life, space in their life, to come alongside, to pursue, to say, hey, let me help show you who Jesus is. And to notice these kids. And to notice the conversations. And to not allow a kid just to get lost in a crowd that comes and goes and walks out the door and never gets engaged. But to intentionally pursue and intentionally have conversation and dialogue and say, hey, let's go. And some of the stories, like the first one I shared, is a three-year journey. It wasn't quick. But God had a plan for this kid. And it took staff who were willing to just say, hey, let's go. However long it takes, let's go. We're going to keep loving on you. We're going to keep encouraging you. We're going to keep journeying with you. We're going to keep doing life with you. And help pointing you towards this Jesus. My questions for you this morning, and where I want to kind of wrap up and land. What does that look like in your world? Who are the eunuchs, so to speak, that are in your everyday world that God is putting your path? He's putting your sphere of influence. He's putting your job site. He's putting your neighborhood. He's put maybe even in your homes. That God is saying, man, are you willing to take the detour? Are you willing to have a conversation? Are you willing to invite maybe that person just to check out scripture with you? Just one-on-one to start meeting? Are you want to go get coffee and just get to know that person's story? Who are the people in your life? And then secondly, do you have enough margin in your life for that to even happen? 
Is there enough margin in your day in and day out life that if God were to present a detour, you would have the space to do it? Or is there enough margin in your life that even if it wasn't necessarily a detour that was like as obvious as Philip, but there's someone that you've noticed that's around you going, gosh, I just want to get to another story. I mean, that person seems really hard, but I'm kind of intrigued. What does God want to do in that person's life? And do I have enough margin and space to say, okay, I'm just going to start pushing into that. I'm going to create space that I can ask those questions. I can get coffee. I can have a meal. Uh, If he comes in to have a conversation, I'm going to create space for that to happen. The power of giving somebody our time and our energy is huge. I remember the first time, when I first started YFC, I've never fundraised before. I have to raise 100% of what it takes for us to do this mission. I never fundraised before, and so I was this young, out-of-college kid trying to figure out what it looks like to ask somebody to support this mission, right? And I met this guy named Cal in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Cal's still a good friend of mine today. A business owner, president of a company. Somebody connected me to him because I, didn't, I wouldn't have had a way to him otherwise. And I'm sitting in front of him, and, and he just said, Dan, what's your five-year plan? And I was going, I don't know what my five-minute plan is. Like, what do you mean five-year plan? And he just said, Dan, look, I'm not going to say if I'm going to support you or not. But in a month, we're going to meet, and I want to hear what your five-year plan is. And I'm, like, all shaky, like, whatever. Uh, Thanks. You know? And I come back, and he says, hey, look, I'm going to support you. But here's the deal. Every month, you have to come into my office to get a check because I'm not just going to be a check. And I want to find out what's going on in your world, what's going on in your ministry, what's going on personally. And so we did. Every month, I sat in Cal's office, and we just dove into life together. And there was still the amount of times that I would call because I needed someone from Cal. I'd call him and say, hey, Cal, real quick. And he's like, Dan, whoa, whoa, whoa. And how are you doing? And he would just get into my life. And the power of somebody giving us their time is huge. What does it look like to have enough margin in your life that you would allow people your time without running to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing? Is there enough margin that those things can happen in a given day? Or are you so maxed out that there's not space? And if you don't know who those people are, my challenge for you would be this. Pray. How simple is that? Pray. Ask God. God, who are the people that you want me to talk to? God, who are the people in my sphere of influence that you want to put in my path? God, who are the people in my neighborhood? Who are are the people in my job? God, I'm going to pray that you would put people in my path that I could start to proclaim you to. That I could lean into this great commission and see your gospel bear fruit. And how crazy cool to every once in a while find that sweet spot in your swing where the Holy Spirit is active and the Holy Spirit is on mission and the Holy Spirit is connecting with somebody and you're just kind of there for the ride. I think that's some of the funnest moments for me as I think of kids or people who have come to know Jesus is when I kind of walked away going, I had no part of that outside of being here. Like, that was all God. Right? The only thing I was was an instrument that he used. But if we don't have margin, if we don't have space, and we're so busy, and if we're not walking with Jesus and abiding well... We're probably going to miss those opportunities. So what does that look like for you?
we pray. Father God, we thank you for noticing us. God, for loving us and for for pursuing us. God, my prayer for this body of people, wherever they're at, whatever's going on in the world, God, that you would help them to find margin in their lives. God, to notice people. uh, To boldly proclaim your glory and your truth. God, to tell people about you, Jesus. God, that if their lives are too busy, Father, would you help slow them down? God, would you um, just pull their hearts closer to you? There are people all throughout this community of fishers who desperately need to know you. And unless there's people who are willing to say, do you even know what you're reading? Unless there are people who are willing to come alongside and, and point them towards you and help unpack scripture and help unpack your love and who you are, God, the reality is they're just not going to know. So God, I pray that you would mobilize us, you would use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.